If you have your Bible with you tonight, well, this is a Bible church. I'm sure everybody has their Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You'll notice our title is Trusting God in an Evil Day. I want you to know, dear friends, that God's grace is sufficient for every circumstance in which we find ourselves. We, however, need to be ready to stand firm for God in a corrupt and increasingly ungodly society. Christians around the world have had to stand up and be counted, be bold and courageous in the uh, evidence of wickedness and those who hate God and hate the people of God. And dear friends, I believe that tonight we need to be ready for an evil day. Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Men will turn their hearts away from the truth and turn, be turned to uh, falsehoods. And we find that in the last day, we can expect apostasy. We can expect a turning from God. And so we need to see God's grace sufficient for every circumstance. As we said, multitudes of God's faithful servants have experienced the peace and security of his presence regardless of the place or position in which they're called by God to serve. I think about our missionaries, I think about how that some of them are serving in very difficult places, aren't they? Some of them have come under a uh, uh, situation of actual war as they face the challenge, trying to reach people for the Lord in those difficult days. And so we find that we too can discover this assurance as we approach the end of the age and the wickedness and the apostasy that's going to be before us, and we need to prepare ourselves for it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask now your blessing and direction upon uh, the thoughts that come from this passage of your word tonight. We pray that you would bless these truths to our hearts. May we take in the promises that are given to us here as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now it's important for us to know as we go down through this 37th chapter, this 37th psalm, that for every warning and for every difficulty, just about every other passage or every other verse gives us a promise and an assurance from God to uh, overcome that thing, that struggle. And it starts out by this, in this way. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now notice the next three verses carefully. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. 
Trust in him, and he will act. Notice that there are three essential things that God calls upon us to do in this evil day. And it's important for us to understand, number one tonight, God's promises will not fail us. In verse 7, he says, Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. You see, dear friends, again the word fret not is given to us. The word fret simply means to worry, doesn't it? To get upset, discouraged, and to begin to think that things are just all going so terribly wrong, and what can we do? I suggest to you that it is inappropriate for every, any child of God to fall into that kind of discouragement, even in an evil day. You see, verse 8 tells us this, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Isn't that interesting? You see, we, we find people are... Uh, rising up. All around us we see those evidences of, uh, of the turning away from the things of God and turning to maybe government as a way to help out and to protect us from uh, evil things. But it's important for us to turn to the Lord and to rely on him. <clears throat> Verse 2, first of all, says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dear friends, that's how we respond to a wicked world. That's how we respond to a world that is struggling with sin and depravity in the world around about us today. Do good. Show that kind of a life before this world. Let people understand that there's a difference between those who are involved in these evil ways and those like like us tonight, who care about folks and care about God and reach out in love. And so we are to trust in the Lord and do good. And I like what it says here, befriend faithfulness. I thought that was so appropriate. What, what that suggests to us is that we need to be a friend to the truth of God's word. Don't belittle it. Don't detract from it, don't turn from it. Stay firm and true to the beliefs that we have in the principles and teachings of the Word of God. And so we understand that, well, while it's painful uh, to see the news every day and see the things that are going on around about us, we see sin against God upheld and the precepts of his Word denigrated, and we see evil uplifted, things that we have been uh, absolutely shocked, we say mortified, to even speak about going on in our public situation and in our schools today. We must remember that we are not part of this world. These things are not um, part of what we stand for. 
And it is essential that in an evil day, we take our stand for the Lord, but not in a riotous and angry and bitter way. We must do so showing and demonstrating the love of God. I believe that's exactly what God tells us to do. In verse 4, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he, uh, and it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, in this world, we find that men, well, people, are continuing to strive for things that they can never attain. When someone is their goal is great riches they're never satisfied what's their goal well it's the next dollar it's the next uh, rung on the ladder and so on we find that this world never finds satisfaction and true peace and happiness with the things of this world and so he tells us to delight ourselves in the lord you know we are his people aren't we We're his children, and we're to delight ourselves in him. Now, the word delight is a beautiful word. It describes that which fills our hearts with joy, that which causes us to sing these great songs of praise. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord in an evil day. Now, then the promise is that he will give us the desires of our heart. So what are the desires of our heart? Well, if we're serving the Lord and we're delighting ourselves in him, those things will be the things that honor God in our lives. I I truly believe that the desires of the heart of the believer are going to be entirely different from the desires of this whole world and those who are involved in those things. For the scripture tells us that if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And so we find that that delight in the Lord is what gives us the desires of our heart. If your desire is purely on the level of the earthly, and you live for those things, you're not going to delight in the Lord. You're not going to find happiness and peace and joy in the Lord. But when we turn to him, we spend time in his word. We allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in us and through us and demonstrate his love one to another. We find that delight is accomplished. I think of the Apostle Paul when God saved him on the road to Damascus, how it changed his very the very core of his being. God spoke to him right there on the road to Damascus, and he changed that man's heart and life. And you know, he began to realize that Jesus was truly the Son of God, that he had died for our sins and rose again. And the Apostle Paul began to take his delight in the Lord. And what was the result? He went about and he established churches in in, in cities and in provinces all over the world of that day because his delight was in doing the will of God. It wasn't an easy life for him. He had many problems, didn't he? 
He had many times when he was kicked out of cities and one time he was stoned. He had to be let down over the wall of a city in a basket. And so you see, it wasn't easy for him, but he took his delight in presenting the word. And even though the multitude of people rejected him, there were those in every city who came to Christ and churches were established. And he found joy in that. So that's the promise of God in a, in a difficult day. Let us stand true to him. And then in verse 5 it says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. I believe that suggests to us that as we step forward for him, we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to meet that need. Commit your way to the Lord and he will act. Notice that. Not I will act, but he will act. Uh, and he will bring that desired end to completion. What a wonderful thing. If we delight ourselves in the Lord and then we commit our way to the Lord, we're going to be trusting him to accomplish his purpose in and through our lives. And so it is important to understand where our citizenship is. You know, we're citizens of heaven. We were citizens of this old world until we came to Christ. And when he saved us, he made us citizens of heaven. He made us his dear children. And now we have an altogether different perspective. We look upon our life here as an investment in eternity. One of the things that I often hear on the radio, and I don't tend to uh, stay tuned to that and listen to it, but is all of these programs that talk about making proper investments because, after all, we want to be ready for our retirement years. And so it's important that we save our money and we do the right thing and we invest it in the right way. And we hear all of these programs over and over again telling us what to do. But dear friends, I want to tell you, if you're a child of God, invest your life in him. He will bring it to pass. He will accomplish his purpose. We never need to have fear or dread when we're trusting God. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be prudent with our finances. It's not to say that we have to just ignore that and just uh, live kind of happy-go-lucky every day. But what it does mean is that when we trust God, we believe him, that he'll meet our needs. And that's what he tells us in this verse. Now, it's important also to understand that Satan is the God of this world. Satan is the one who is directing the affairs that are going on, that are bringing our great and blessed nation down into destruction and defeat. Satan is the one who is working in the minds and hearts of those who are disobedient to the things of God. Dear friends, we are doing our work for God in the enemy's territory. So it's not an easy thing. But as we are faithful to the Lord, he meets that need. And, and Satan will uh, bring about chaos, degradation, and in so doing, he will cause difficulties for the child of God. 
It's very possible at some point that we who love the Lord can be persecuted for our faith. It's happened many times down through history. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He told them, in the world you will have tribulation. But, he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so you see, we are to be of good cheer. We are to be rejoicing in the Lord and not fretting or worrying about circumstances round about us. Now, I'm speaking to myself in that regard because I want you to know that I've also fallen into this um, kind of a difficult situation of worrying about what's going to happen to our wonderful country that God has blessed so mightily in the past. Where are we going to end up? How is God going to deal with us as he removes his blessing because of the dreadful things that are going on in our society? It's very easy to get discouraged, especially listening to the news these days. Maybe I ought to stop doing that and turn to God's word for encouragement. So God has given us advance warning of these things which would transpire in the day in which we live. Apostasy leading to depravity and the blessing of God being removed as it took place with Israel of old. Israel would uh, serve God and honor him. God would bless them. When they failed and turned away and uh, they fell into sin, why God would bring his judgment and remove his blessing from them. And it happened to Israel over and over again. If it happened to God's own chosen people, we can pretty much be assured that it would happen to our country as well when we turn from God. And so these three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, give us the remedy for the frustrations we face as we serve God. Now, going back to verse 3, it says this that I want to reiterate. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I want us to notice that key word, dwell in the land. Now, obviously, uh, the word here is given to um, Israel. It's the Old Testament. And it's speaking about dwelling in the land that God had uh, given to them. And it's important for us to understand that properly. But I've always said, and I believe this is true, that not every part of the word of God is intended uh, to be interpreted for us. But it can be many times applied to us. And so I believe, dear friends, that as we live here in the United States of America, this great country, I believe that by our example... We can set a standard that the world around about us will look to and begin to see the falseness of where they are. Dwell in the land. Don't shutter yourself away. Don't hide from the world around about us. But stand up and be counted and be a witness for God in this evil day. Now as we move down here to verse 6. Here is your promise. And as I said, our text or our point here is that God, God's promises will not fail. Look at verse 7. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. He tells us to be still before the Lord. There's a time to speak out, but there's also a time to be still. And I believe that takes place in the quietness of our home, perhaps in that secret place where we meet with the Lord. Let him speak to our heart. Let him work his will and his way out through us. And you'll find that as he does so, he will, as verse 6 tells us, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You see, dear friends, we are to be lights in this world, aren't we? As the world grows dark, I suggest to you that our light shines brighter. If you're in a dark place, all you need to do is light a little light, and it dispels the darkness. And so it is with our lives as we serve God. The uh, writer of this psalm is assuring us that when we stand with the Lord, when we're on his side and we and people around about us know it, we don't have to even say a lot. All they have to do is look at us, see what kind of life we live, and see how that we honor God in our lives, and it will be a light shining in a dark place. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I suggest to you that there will be those, perhaps in your workplace, perhaps young people in school or whatever, that are going to criticize, are going to mock and ridicule uh, because of your faith in God. But you know what? When a hard time comes in the life of that person, you know who they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to you because they see God in you. They're going to see that you have something different that they do not have. And so we find that we are to commit our way to the Lord. Now, as we continue on here, I want you to notice, verses 8 through 13, that God's protection will uphold us. And this, too, is a wonderful promise. And by the way, we're not going to get through all the verses in this chapter We're hitting on some of the highlights here that I think will kind of give us an overview of the chapter and encourage you to go home and read it this evening as the Lord allows. And so we know the promise of God that he will execute justice uh, and deal with evildoers so that we don't need to fret about it. Look at verses 8 through 10. Refrain from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Now, of course, those words are given to us from the heavenly perspective. We know that sometimes a person who is evil, like a dictator, or somebody who is doing uh, wrong things and, and uh, 
not caring for the people over which he has the, the rule. That one will cause all kinds of difficulty, and it may seem like it's just going on forever, but I want you to understand something. God says, you know to that wicked one, your life is nothing but a vapor. It appears for a short time and then it's gone. And so it's so important for us to realize from the heavenly perspective, those who seem to do so uh, well in all of their wickedness, one day they're going to die and leave it all behind and then they're going to stand before God and give an account. And so it's so important for us to understand that we are to refrain from anger. We are to forsake wrath. That's not the attitude of a believer. I can tell you the stories that I've heard over the years of missionaries who have been treated with such terrible disrespect. I read this, the life story of a <clears throat> missionary to Burma. His name was Adoniram Judson. That man suffered so greatly for the Lord. He was thrown into prison. He was placed in stocks and held there so that he could hardly move for weeks at a time. When he finally got out, he would go right back and continue to preach until he was arrested again. Over the years, he suffered greatly, and he nearly died on many occasions. But I want you to know that through the ministry of this great missionary, multitudes of people were saved. And there's a great uh, church there in that land. It's called Adoniram Judson Baptist Church. And so you see, he had a, a mind for the things of heaven. And God, even though he suffered greatly, God saw him through it and met his every need. What a wonderful thing. He didn't get angry. It, that would only tend to evil. And rather, he was gracious. He was kind and understanding, knowing that he was on the right side. Now, as you go down here to verse 10, and I've already mentioned that, it says, um, in just a little while, the wicked will, know, uh, will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he'll not be there. In other words, there's a time coming when things will change. And that evil ruler, or whatever it might be, will be gone and someone else will take over. I'm not saying that that next one's going to be any better because we're still in this wicked world. But nevertheless, God is, he has his eye upon all of these things and he knows the heart of that individual and he will deal with it. Now, <clears throat> as we continue on down here um, through uh, 10, um, uh, actually verse 11 and 12, it says this, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, who are the meek? Someone has likened the meek to the weak. But you know what? That's not so. The meek one is the one who is quiet and humble, self-effacing. He's like Moses of old. The Bible says, or it's been said that Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. And yet look at what God did through Moses. No, the meek, the Bible says, shall inherit the earth. 
And so we find, it says here, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So we are to be uh, bold, courageous for Christ, and retain a meekness, which means I am willing to let God work through me. I'm not going to be uh, high and mighty, think of myself as someone important. And one of the evidences of a person who is meek is that they will allow another person, another believer perhaps, to take precedence. Somebody might come along and take uh, uh, the advantage or perhaps uh, they will take the, uh, the uh, place where they get the honor and, and you might uh, be put to the side. But you know what? Apostle Paul suffered that, didn't he? How many times did he have to say that it didn't matter to him how people uh, looked to him? He said, in this, I, I uh, see that God's word is going forth, even though it might have been uh, go, going forth with the wrong attitude and the wrong motivations. He said, nevertheless, I rejoice that God's word is being preached. Whether in pretense or in truth, I thank the Lord for that. And so that's this meekness that says, I will let another person take the, uh, the lead, let them get the glory for it. I'm going to remain faithful to the Lord. And so this is the contrast that we see in verse 11 between the meek and those who have the power. So the wicked hate the follower of God and treats him with disdain. Verse 12, it spells it out. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Wow. Well, I'm reminded of those who died at the hands of, yes, religious leaders. I can tell you that the first um, martyr that we read about in the New Testament is John the Baptist. He got his head cut off, didn't he? The next one that we read about is the Lord Jesus himself. They crucified him. We go to the book of Acts. We read about a young man by the name of Stephen who preached the word of God faithfully and boldly. And they stoned him to death. So you see that we can expect tribulation. We can expect these kind of things, even as they did. The wicked hate us. Jesus said to his disciples, if they hated me, they will hate you too. Do you realize every one of Christ's disciples, except for the apostle John, died a martyr's death? And John was thrown onto a desert island to live out his life there. But John used that occasion to write the most wonderful book, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Isn't it amazing how he could take those difficult times? Our pastor pointed out how that Paul wrote those epistles while he was chained to a guard in the prison house. 
He could take those difficult times and use them to accomplish great things for God because he saw things from the divine perspective. Look at verse 13. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Wow. Is that not a statement? God's view of the the, um, wicked in their pride and corruption. By the way, we're still in a month called Pride Month, right? How sick and perverse is that? You know what the Bible tells us? God hates pride. Pride is not something that we should ever uh, be involved in. Pride is saying, God, I can do my own thing. I can live my own way. And I can do what I want to do and you can't stop me. But I want to tell you something. It tells us right here, he sees his day is coming. And that's how we need to see the wicked around about us. Their, their day is coming. And so we see, dear friends, that God, God's plans will be proven to us. Looking down here at verse 14. <clears throat> the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy. To slay those whose ways are upright. Wow, what a statement. They want to destroy the poor and needy. They take advantage of them. I've often heard stories about these guys that stand up before great um, uh, crusades with hundreds and hundreds of people, and they call the sick to come forward, and they play on their emotions, and they play on their situation telling them that they're going to heal them. And the sad thing is that they are taking uh, advantage of them for the sake of money. You see, that's exactly what he's talking about here when it says the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy. Isn't that a terrible thing? that these guys live in mansions and drive around in uh, most expensive automobiles and have their own private airplanes. And that money all comes from poor people, widows, people who are ailing and think that if they give some money, life will be better. How sad. But you'll notice verse 15, and here's a little word of encouragement about that. The sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. What a wonderful truth that is. God knows. He understands. Now, as we continue on, we, we notice in verse 16 that believers are better off when they don't have a lot of this world's good. Look at what it says. Better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. How is it that the wicked always have all of the abundance? Well, God says, you know, you need to learn to depend on me. I want you to uh, skip down here to uh, verse 28. 
where we, where we read, the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And so you see, dear friends, that uh, God is on our side. He promises to meet our needs. Go back up to verse 23. We're just skipping around here a bit. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. We can trust him as he leads us. They're established by the Lord when he delights in his way. So when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, when you commit to him, dear friends, and you delight in him, he says, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to show you the path that you are to take. When I was a youngster, I remember uh, being told that, um, and we would go to various youth programs and so on, we would be told, you need to find out what God's will is for your life. And we were concerned about that, and I remember praying about it. Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go to prepare for what I'm, what I'm to do in life? And you know, I had to make some changes. I was supposed to uh, prepare to be a history teacher. And I started to plan to go to college for that, but the Lord changed my heart, and I ended up going to Bible school instead. And God put me into ministry. But you see, when we allow God to lead, and when we put our delight in him, he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He promises to give us abundance. And so we have this blessed truth. Now, I remember... My dad quoting this verse, and it was one that sustained him because, you know, he pastored small churches. Many times they had very, very little money to give him as a pastor. The one church he pastored, they gave him whatever came in the offering that Sunday. He said, I remember sometimes getting as little as $5. But I can tell you, because I was one of the kids there, we never, met, uh, we never missed a meal. We always had provision. God met our needs. We didn't always understand how, but he did. Look at verse 25. I've been young, now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Isn't that a blessing? Throughout our life, we just trust God. We don't need to be all upset about the things that are going on around about us. God's plan will be proven to us. In verse, uh, verses 21, uh, 20 and 21, notice the character of the ungodly here. It says, But the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. It's like, it's like the flowers of the field. They're there one day and they uh, are gone the next. Like smoke, they vanish away. 21. The wicked borrows, but not, does not pay back. Hmm. But the righteous is generous and gives. 
Many years ago, in my church, there was a family who, whose car needed to be replaced, and they didn't have any money to do it with. Do it with. And so <clears throat> I told them, they just needed 300 bucks. And you know, this is a long time ago. 300 bucks was a lot of money back then. And they could buy a decent older car for that. And so I said, I'll tell you, I will lend you the $300 and you can pay me back when you're able. And so I did. I gave them the money. Well, weeks and months and years went by. Nothing ever came back. I learned a lesson from that. Don't lend to people. Give to people. Finally, some years later, this lady came back to me and she said, we're so sorry that we haven't paid you back. We want to pay. We want to start maybe just giving you a little each month to pay you back. Well, I told her I learned a lesson too. And that lesson is to be generous and give to those in need. I don't want that money back. You, you just uh, be thankful for what God has given you. So you see, what a difference between those who uh, are willing to put themselves out for one another and care and give, and I have been the recipient of it so many times. Praise God that he's laid it on the hearts of God's people to give so that our needs would be met. And the result is that we turn in faithfulness and um, thankfulness to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, for meeting my needs. I know you're faithful to me. Dear friends, this is the promises that God has given us. In an in a evil day, well, we have only to trust him. We have only to, to stand and be counted as those who are faithful to the Lord. His promises will never fail us. We see his protection will uphold us. And his plan will be proven out to us. What a wonderful truth that is. Let me just conclude with the last two verses of this chapter. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. What a wonderful truth. What a glorious thing that we have such a marvelous and loving Savior who promises to meet our every need. Remember, what a friend we have in Jesus. And it tells us there in that song that we just need to pray. Why do we suffer loss? Because we don't pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He's our faithful uh, provider. There's a wonderful verse in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. I believe it's about verse 19 where he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, through the Lord Jesus, we have access to the very riches of God in heaven. And they're available for you and me. So we never have to fear or worry. Put your mind at ease and trust him. Well, that's our message for you tonight. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful chapter. The psalmist writes from his own heart 
And Lord, I know that he was moved by your spirit to write it. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of these truths and live them so that we might experience the joy of serving you and seeing how you meet our needs and comfort hearts in a wicked world. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. We're dismissed.